0: Coca, su naray, su narayente. Coca, su naray, su narayente. Coca, su naray, Coca, su naray, su narayente. Coca, su naray, su narayente. Coca, su naray, su na'ray
1: Hello, hi, welcome to this new episode of the Mango TV podcast. Today I'm very pleased to have Oli Turaya. Oli Turaya is a woman sexual liberation coach who's in a mission to facilitate the freedom of the hearts and bodies of women so they can love and live from full aliveness. She's trained in the Vita method or Vita method coaching modality, which is a tantric approach to healing sexuality through science and spirit. She lives in Nosara, Costa Rica and has cultivated a thriving tantra community in the jungle. Visit her website at www.olitoraya.com to listen to her weekly podcast and to learn more about her private mentorship journey and online courses. You can also follow her on Instagram at @oli.turaya. Welcome, Oli.
0: Thank you so much for having me here today. What a pleasure.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yes, just just for, um, you know, maybe your followers that um, are new to the Mango TV podcast, um, Mango TV is part of uh, this small production company called Mangusta Production. Um, we started in 2007, 2008 to develop a documentary based on um, Daniel Pinchbeck's work, 2012, The Return of Cuesco Atoll. I don't know if you remember that book by Pinchback. He was considered one of the um, uh, contemporary Castaneda of you know modern sh- contemporary shaman, urban shaman. Anyhow, his idea was um, that uh, to, you know the twenty twelve was bringing a tipping point in consciousness, and that uh, you know global transformation would come from personal transformation. So that was a little bit the beginning of uh, of our journey, and then we mm, produced a documentary called Monogamish. We interview uh, back then Laila Martin and Esther Perel and Dan Savage and uh, Christopher Ryan and and um, and then now slowly we're still doing a little production but you know we find podcasts much more fast and effective and economical um, and yeah but but in our DNA you know the, the curiosity of um, of what what allow and facilitate and create transformation. So we had maybe roughly 50 guests, and ultimately we're interested in, um, in in capture the cathartic moment of the transformation, and and specifically we're interested in in psychedelic and neo tantra, which you know we think are very powerful hook mm. to catalyze this transformation, and 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 neo tantra even more now by empowerment by empowering woman, but we'll get there. Tell us a little bit how how did you go from being a a jet setter d j into like a reclusive tantra teacher in the jungle
0: oh what a great what a great starting <laughs> question it's funny because in my heart i'm still very much a jet setter d j um <laughs> And even in my DJ days, I was very much a tantrika, so it doesn't even feel like that much of a shift for me. Um, Nice. You know, essentially what connects the two for me is creating spaces that promote liberation for people, that bring people deeply, deeply into their body through community, through celebration. And so I really view... DJing and Tantra, you know, working with the energy, working with the liberation of the heart and the body as very, very similar. They don't even feel that different to me. Mm. But to, to really answer your question, um, you know, being a jet setter DJ for me uh, eventually took its toll on my nervous system. The nightlife took its toll. Um, and so I really needed to find new ways to bring liberation and transformative experience into people's hearts and bodies. And I very much still weave um, I'm an ecstatic dance DJ. I still weave music and movement because Tantra is so focused on breath, sound, and movement. I really still weave a lot of that into my offerings and into my facilitation spaces. So I haven't changed that much.
1: <laughs> nice. But but what was the taking their toll? What was the... Um, how, how did you feel? What was the symptoms of... Um, how does taking a toll look like?
0: Yeah, so there's two really two pieces to that. The first piece was just the actual nature of the lifestyle of being up all night, out every weekend, sleeping during the day, just being out of my rhythm of nervous system really put me into a place of burnout and fatigue, and also what I realized was the thing that I loved the most about a dance floor was the human-to-human heart-soul connection. And what I realized is that there was still a lot of trauma being played out right? Not in a psychedelic creating a container way, but actually in a way that was perpetuating the pain body. And so that was really the shift for me was really altering my perception of how can we create spaces that give this same feeling of an epic moment on a dance floor, but in a space of sobriety, consciousness, and presence, right?
1: But how, how, how that lifestyle was perpetuating the pain bodies?
0: Um, Because in my perspective, when we are unconsciously habituating drug and alcohol use and dissociating from our body, right, not in a held space of ceremony, but in a space that's leaky and uncontained.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because we are in a state of of, of absence. This is an important piece of this whole um, understanding of global transformation, because that's, that's the first step, right? To realize that I'm in a s- lifestyle or I'm in a relationship or I'm in a certain container that I need to, to get absent from. So, so, okay, so that was, you, you, you felt that um, that lifestyle was not nourishing you, uh, the pain body were ruling your life and ultimately you were not satisfied. And so what happened then?
0: <laughs> yeah, so what happened was I made a very um, abrupt decision to leave the nightlife, to stop DJing, and to completely transform my lifestyle. Um, and what I realized was through that transition, and I also entered into a two-year container of sobriety during that time as well. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was when I left the nightlife and all of my friends and community, I felt so lonely. I felt so disconnected. I also didn't know how to access the states of ecstasy and catharsis and liberation that I was accessing through the dance floor and through drugs and alcohol. I did not know how to access that through my own body in a sober space. And so I felt so far away from liberation and and joy. And so that's what really introduced me to Tantra, was Tantra was coming into my field and talking about the path of ecstasy and the path of bliss and ecstatic, ecstatic awakening. And I was like, there's something here for me. There's 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 medicine here for me to create a new bridge back to my ecstasy body, back to my heart, back to my sexual liberation, but in a way that doesn't compromise my safety or my well-being.
1: Beautiful. But so what advice do you have that for people that are scared of those 2 years of solitude?
0: I would say that it that it it's holding on to the vision of truth of the new lifestyle that you're wanting and willing to create for yourself and to trust, to trust so deeply that that new lifestyle is on its way. And it doesn't have to be in solitude, right? It doesn't have to be. In fact, it shouldn't be in solitude. It's it's really important to actually find Ecstatic dance communities, supportive communities, mentors, guides, teachers, right? Supportive communities that can help create the bridge to the new world for you. And there is also power in the solitude as well, because it's in the solitude that we learn to self-source our joy, self-source our love and not depend on other people to feed from, to get that. So there is power in the solitude as well.
1: Beautiful. But so, so, um, how did Tantra arrived in
0: your field? So Tantra arrived in my field, actually, I had just recently come back from a trip to Ibiza about 15 years ago and, um, a Tantra teacher came into my field and this was around the time that I had entered into sobriety. And, um, he gave me a book called, um, Tantric Awakening for Women. And I remember the cover, it was just like this woman with like all her chakras beaming open and total bliss and ecstasy. I'm like, that is how I feel on a dance floor. That is how I want to feel in my body. That is how I want to feel in my heart. And so I read this book and it and it just opened up a whole new possibility for me. And little by little, tantra teachers, mentors, guides, teachings, books just started falling literally falling into my path. Like the path found me. I didn't have to go and seek it. But what I did put into my heart was that desire to know more and to learn more. And it just started coming into my life really effortlessly.
1: Beautiful. But so, and then and then you started the first course. You started with Laila Martin with the Vita program?
0: No, I did Laila Mar- Martin's program two years ago. Wow. When I first started on the path of Tantra, which was about 15 years ago, Everything that I learned was from one-on-one mentorships with guides and reading. I read every book under the sun there was to read about Tantra. And at the time, I also owned a yoga studio. And so I started teaching Tantra classes to our community there. Um, but really initially it was mostly the books that I was reading and then the one-on-one guides that I had. It wasn't later on in my journey until I decided to commit to this as my offering that I start to really deepen in my mentorships and guides that I was receiving.
1: But if you don't mind if it's not too intimate, but how how that how did you start you know, rewiring your body into this new form of pleasure, more holistic, more metaphysical. How this, this search in this new practice has evolved experientially for you?
0: Yeah. So it's been, I would say for me, the journey really started with and continues to be through my own self-pleasure practice, mm. really deepening a relationship to my body and knowing that I am the source of pleasure, I am the source of love and that if I choose to, I can share that with someone who is also a source of their own pleasure. But it was really my own self-pleasure practice that brought me home to my body to really reclaim that and little by little begin to take sovereignty of I don't need a substance, I don't need a partner, I don't need anything outside of me to have the experience of pleasure. It is all within me and then from there, I can pour that out into others through relationship and experience.
1: Beautiful. So very, very empowering. So, so the the, the self exploration into this new empowerment empowerment state, and 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 the and the desire, the didactic desire to then pass this wisdom, sort of like progress in parallel. And there was a moment where you decided to be a full time teacher because I, I I heard somewhere that you also des- decided that also the yoga was too much of a distraction, the yoga center.
0: So yeah, so it's it's it, it, so when we had the yoga studio, like I said I was teaching tantra classes, but my main job at the time was running the management of the company and we had a large company. And what happened is in 2020 when the p- pandemic hit, we were mandated to close our studio and then eventually closed it permanently 4 months later. And the day that I closed my studio doors, I made a vow to commit myself wholeheartedly to the tantric path as a teacher and as a guide, because all this space had opened up in my life and the path was calling me forward as a leader and as a mentor and as a teacher. And I knew that after 10 years of studying this wisdom and embodying it, that I was now ready to transmit this wisdom. I trusted myself so deeply to actually be a a light bearer and a torch bearer for the tantric path. Beautiful. So the pandemic ended up really serving, even though at the time it wasn't clear, it really served me stepping fully onto this path as a teacher.
1: Yes. And, um, you know, from my point of view here in Ibiza, you know, we see many people. One of the recurrent theme is that, you know, this moment in time will be remembered for many things. but. Also about a second wave of of feminism of of woman empowerment, right? In the sixties, it was very almost political. It was like almost you know it was like the woman had the right to be as promiscuous as men and didn't need the man. But but now this second wave is much more spiritual in a way. It's much more softer. It's much more inclusive. It's much more holistic. And uh, and I think that it's, it's impacting society. It's, it's, it's everywhere you go on Instagram, on social media, it's, it's there like for woman empowerment, neo-tantra courses everywhere. But so my question is, um, you know, I'm in my fifties, I have, you know, many friends have been married for 20, 30 years. And, um, you know, if only a few years ago, you were not, this. they were not, they were not discussing that but now more and more comes comes out that the women are this are not satisfied yeah. by the sexuality by the emotional support and and um, so what what advice you know of course the best thing would be to like come and work with you <laughs> but if, if someone is not ready to reach out to a tantra teacher what would you say of all these women that have that are stuck in a sexless marriage for example mm-hmm. um on how it is their right to reclaim their pleasure and how, you know, they should explain their husband mm. that they have this opportunity to create a sacred container that would expand their connection with, with, with everything. Does it make sense?
0: Absolutely, it's such a beautiful question. And to speak to your first piece, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the feminist movement happened and now we're, which paved the way for the feminine to really rise and have her voice. And now we're really in a space of union, of divine union, and merging between the masculine and feminine forces on this planet, which is what Tantra teaches. Tantra means weave in Sanskrit, and we're being taught how to weave the masculine and feminine in power together. And so to answer your question, for a woman that maybe isn't quite ready to work with a teacher or, or seek deeper support, but really wants to have more satisfaction and pleasure in her life, What I would say to that is is for women to remember that women are actually the leaders in the relational space. Why? Because we are so deeply embodied into our hearts and into our wombs, which is the energy space that leads a relationship container. And so the first piece is for a woman to really reclaim her sexual sovereignty. So instead of blaming and shaming the partner or the, the, the person that she's with sexually for not pleasing her, for not being satisfied is to take full responsibility first and foremost for reclaiming her pleasure to, on her own on her own first and foremost, to reclaim, to make pleasure a priority in her life, to make it a non-negotiable to be it something that she stands for. And when I say pleasure, I'm not just referring to sexuality, I'm referring to rest and digitally detoxing and creativity and eating slowly, just Mm. slowing it all down, coming back into the body. And when a woman prioritizes her pleasure for herself, that naturally descends her back into her body and invites on its own magnetism, invites the man back into a sexual space with her to share in the pleasure that she's already emitting. So women are like flowers. Right? So if we can feed our own soils and nurture our bodies and slow down, then our flower of sexuality in Eros opens back up again and we become magnetic to our partners. Mm. And the sexuality sort of restores itself. So to, to, to simply answer your question, it would be to invite women to drop deeply back into their bodies. Mm. Slow down.
1: Beautiful. And and what do you think? Uh, just to stay on this theme of um, of couple in troubles, you know, I remember when my wife and I we moved from New York to Ibiza for lockdown, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know we, we we had bought a piece of land here years ago, and um, we are um, we were building a house, and I remember reading the you know main cause of divorces were like changing country on a family level, you know, new school for the kids, etc build a house together. And then at the time I have a cannabis addiction, like, you know, four four years ago. And uh, and so those three things happen at the same time. <laughs> so we were a little bit on, the, um, on a bit on the rocks. And I remember this friend of mine say, listen, he gave me The Way of the Superior Man, he gave me the David Data book. And he said, leave and study this book, not just read it, study it, understand it, embody it, and then come back. Yeah. Do you do you subscribe to this model of the man being in loving presence, the bed of the river, and the woman being the water in divine flow? And how do you explain that to a more traditional couple that never heard these terms?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So, yeah, I, I absolutely subscribe to basically polarity teachings. Hola, exactly, exactly. Um, and that's what really the bedrock of Tantra is all about is polarity, masculine, feminine, yin, yang, light and dark, right? And coming together in those spaces. And your a metaphor that you used of the masculine being like the bed, the containment, the safety, the security of the river that guides the feminine flow of aliveness and eros towards the direction, right? So 100%. And David Data is a beautiful example of masculine polarity, and there are many teachers of feminine polarity. But what I also believe and know, too, is that we all have both masculine and feminine energy within us. And in order to be sovereign in our relationships, we don't, as me as a woman, I don't only want to have feminine embodiment. I also do need masculine embodiment as well so that i can hold and contain myself and hold and k- create safety for myself and so that i can show up for the feminine in my man when mm. the when the feminine heart in my man is wounded and needs tending to so that i can also show up with loving presence with my inner masculine right so i really believe in dynamic mm. polarity it's more it's more Um, holistic. And how I describe that to people that are very new to sort of the languaging around polarity and Tantra is I just use the metaphors of nature Mm -hmm. because nature is the Tao. It is the way polarity is the way of nature. And so I'll use the metaphors, right? Just like you said with the riverbed or like the soil and the sun, right? Or like the seasons of nature that go through their cycle. So that's usually the languaging because nature is universal No matter what language you speak or how versed you are in spiritual lingo, everybody knows nature. So those metaphors tend to really land for people.
1: But can you, can you elaborate a little bit on this idea of, um, okay, the polarity between masculine and feminine and masculine and feminine is not necessarily a gender description. We have, we both have both. But so what you're saying is that it's important to take turn, like, when a man wants to be more into the feminine and being held um, it's important that it's clear who does what, otherwise we lose the polarity. Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so in a male, let's just use like a male, female, man and woman dynamic, just for, for simplicity, for, in order to maintain polarity in that relationship, what matters is that one person is in the masculine energetic and one person is in the feminine. And now naturally a woman is mostly going to want to reside in her feminine energy and a man's going to want to be in his masculine energy. And that's what creates the polarity. And there are times when the man wants to soften into his heart space and needs more of the masculine energy from his partner or leadership from her and vice versa. So it's important to be well-versed. And this is really what Tantra teaches us. It's important, you want all keys on your piano to become a masterful player of life. Mm -hmm. You wanna know how to play all those keys. And if you're just playing the white keys as a woman and you don't know how to play those black keys, you're not gonna have a full well-rounded symphony. And it's the same for the men, because the more I understand the masculine energetic in myself, the more I can love and worship the masculine in you, because I'm intimate with the man within me already, and I understand what he needs. So it's really about coming. Tantra really teaches us how to come into wholeness instead of being half of a whole. Standing on one leg and needing another person in order for me to stand fully is what traditional polarity teaches us. What I really believe is that we should both be standing on two legs, and strengthen mm-hmm. in sovereignty, and from there we dance. And there we dance.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Um, because one thing that there, one of the many take from the book was that um, you know we as men we tend to treat our woman like a friend, like a male friend. So, like a male friend comes to you and says, "Listen, I have a problem," and it's like, "Okay, let's break it down." We're going to pros, pros and cons. We do it a spreadsheet, Excel. We do like, you know, we take it very rational. It. But the woman, when it comes with you with a problem, she doesn't want a solution. She just wants to be heard. She wants to be held. And, and, you know, it sounds very basic stuff for you, but so many men are still stuck in this idea of, you know, how can I help? Why, you know?
0: Totally. Totally. Because in that space, a man is trying, is actually trying to connect with the woman's masculine, her mind. She's trying to, he's trying to connect with her logic and her strategy and solution when actually what he needs to connect with is her heart. She wants to be heard. She wants to be expressed. She wants to be seen and felt, not solved. She doesn't want to be solved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she wants to be free to be like the water or like the weather to be, you know, sun in the morning and storm in the afternoon. The weather is always right. Yeah. I feel, I feel that there is a lot of conversation going on these days and and that's very that's very healthy but so just to staying on the on the relationship topic tantra practitioner are traditionally monogamous or polyamorous is there a correlation or is completely independent
0: in my opinion it's completely independent it's one thing that happened in the west when osho brought tantra to the west it became sexualized mm. It became sexualized. And I think that actually we needed that because it came around at the time of sexual liberation in the 60s. But Tantra, sexuality is just one leaf on the tree of Tantra. Tantra is so much more than sexuality, right? So Tantra is really about the liberation of sexuality and of heart space and breaking down conditioning Mm. that society has placed upon us. Now, there is a lot of societal conditioning around relationship dynamics of it has to look this way monogamy for life, right? Like that's like, we're just given like one model. What Tantra invites us to do is to come into truth, no matter what that is for you. So for some people, when they enter the sexual liberation and heart journey, they realize that actually being in a confined, traditional monogamous relationship is no longer true for them. But some people realize that it's the ultimate truth for them and divine union is the way and sacred marriage is the way. So to me, Tantra and relationship dynamic styles are unrelated, but you often see them in the same space because people that reach for Tantra are looking to become free from societal conditioning around sexuality and love. So you see them in the same space, but they are unrelated.
1: Do you mind if I ask your relationship preference?
0: Yes. So my relationship dynamics have changed so much throughout the years and for my personal exploration in this space. So the last two years of my journey, five months prior to where I am, I've been in open relationship dynamics. And this has really, really served the liberation of my heart space and my sexuality for me to break down the conditioning of jealousy of fear of abandonment of scarcity and to step into a completely liberated space and now that i've been through that chapter and integrated freedom in my heart and in my womb now i'm ready to enter into divine committed devoted union Mm. with one partner that i devote myself to fully and bring all the liberated eros that I have in my body and all the liberated love that I have into a held sacred container, right? And within that sacred container, I also am a temple priestess as well. So I hold spaces of sacred sexual exploration for people and the community to explore their sexuality in safe ways. So within my container of divine union, I also desire for there to be room and space to follow our desires when they're present in safely held containers, right? In a safe and sacred ceremonial space that's sober, that's grounded, that's reverent, and then be in our divine union always. That's what I'm seeking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sober, grounded, and reverent, and uh, in total consent and band and boundaries and yeah but so and how was these two years of non-monogamy for you it was like a roller coaster <laughs>
0: it was wild you know it was wild on my podcast i just released a two-part series of the 10 gifts that i received from it and the 10 hardships and lessons and i really went deep into it um it was an uh, it was, it felt like a two year medicine ceremony <laughs> for me. Uh, Nonstop. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it taught me so much. It allowed me to see all the wounding that I held in my body around comparison, around jealousy, around not enoughness, around contraction in monogamous relationships. It allowed me to celebrate my pleasure and have the courage to declare my desires and my wantings to find my voice, make my needs and requests known. Like it really empowered me. Um, And it allowed me to open my heart to not just open relating through sexuality, but also through my love as well. When before, when I was in a very constrictive monogamous relationship dynamic, I wasn't allowed and my partner wasn't allowed to flirt with other people, to hold hands Mm. with other people, to be intimately touched, you know, in a, in a soft and gentle way by other people. And what I realized through open relating was I, it takes a village for this heart to feel loved and nourished. And I can do that without sharing my erotic sexual energy with anyone else. Mm-hmm. But My love, my heart wants to love many and serve many. And so that's really what I learned from open relating was how to love many people, even while keeping my sexuality contained to one person.
1: And 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 how, how did you deal with with because of course the freedom was reciprocal. So how did you feel about um, your lover going on in different direction?
0: Well, it was you know, initially we eased, you know, I had two partners throughout that time. I had two primary partners for that time, in, separate from each other. We eased into it. So this is a very important piece. The nervous system cannot handle just opening overnight into open relationship dynamic it will blow out your nervous system and put you into fight flight or freeze so we eased into it it started off by just talking about who we're attracted to Mm. right and and who perhaps we have a crush on and allowing ourselves more freedom to flirt with other people and then maybe going on a date with another person but no physical contact so we eased into it so i think that's a really important piece to say but when we got into the deeper pieces of opening our fields towards other lovers, it put me into the deepest spaces of ceremony mm. because it allowed me to sit with the medicine of my grief, of my heartbreak, of abandonment, you know, but, but, but consensually, yeah. <laughs> not through betrayal or lies or cheating or shadow, but open, yeah, right? So in a way that felt so also so healing. So it allowed me to meet the deepest pain in my heart. And I'm so grateful for that, because I was able to meet the deepest pain in my heart. I was able to bring unconditional love and presence to those spaces and anchor in unwavering worthiness into my being, unwavering worthiness into my being that is independent of a lover or a partner. So I'm so grateful for those times. right And now that I've embodied that, it's like I've integrated the lessons. I no longer need open relating because I have those gifts. Mm in my transmission in my being, right? So I can release that lifestyle.
1: Well, it should be like in the marriage contract. Now we do two years <laughs> of open relating and then, but so, but let me ask you this, because is it fair to say that, you know, going through life and, and you can um, either respond or react to life, right? To a life event, right? You you respond when when you, there is a, when you, um you respond when you respond from your authentic self and you react when you react from your wounded self the
0: pain body, yeah.
1: through the pain body so but so sometimes in life is not black and white there's a little bit of both right so how do you you know because you the way you mentioned it you know it's very grown up very mature about you know having the opportunity to using the, you know this feeling as a the situation as a mirror to look my own pain body but sometimes there is just a very healthy pain of losing someone you care
0: Absolutely.
1: so how do you handle how do you determine when is a reaction to a pain body and a child and and, and a, you know childhood wound or just a very healthy fear to lose someone you like
0: yeah So are you saying like, how do you know the difference if it's your pain body responding versus versus like your authentic heart responding? Yes. Yeah. So a a simple way to answer that question. So the energetics of an emotion, an emotional charge, an emotion such as grief or sadness or anger or joy actually only takes 90 seconds when fully expressed to move through your nervous system and your Mm. emotional body. Mm. So if you're experiencing an emotion in the present moment, that's here and now, that's not your pain body or trauma response. It will move through you very quickly and fully. If it's triggering your pain body, if it's touching a wound within you.
1: It stays there.
0: It's, it's, it, it's almost like you get taken back in time mm. to like now you're a four-year-old and like your dad's leaving you on Christmas Day right like or whatever like the initial trauma was or you're 13 years old and your boyfriend just broke your heart for the first time it's almost like when your pain body is activated neurologically and and physiologically your nervous system is going back in time to the imprint of the original wound yeah and so a big part of the liberation journey is and I work deeply with the nervous system when I work with clients is liberating, removing, integrating, and shaking the shame, trauma, and pain out of the physical body and nervous system so that when you're presented with a difficult emotion, you're able to respond in real time and not project and uh, um, respond from a place of trauma, right? And of course, this this can often take years for people to fully integrate their trauma body because we've got a lot of trauma we've got a lot of a lot of us have a lot of trauma and so um this is why i'm so passionate about this work is so that we can all come into back into our hearts in the here and now and respond with compassion and still feel anger you're still going to feel pain if you lose someone you love, you're still going to feel grief, but you're going to learn how to move it through your body and express it and emote it and take full responsibility for it without projecting it onto the person that's in front of you because it's too painful for you to hold.
1: Yes, but so so open relating is not for everybody. It's It's for people that have done a serious amount of work on yourself. And, you know, I'm not, you know, making the subconscious conscious is probably like, lifelong
0: yes. endeavor
1: but but there should be a certain amount of, of of understanding of the subconscious material linked to fear of abandonment and, and and stuff like that
0: yeah so if someone were to have a desire to enter and a curiosity to enter into the open relating space as a tool for transformation what i would say to that is first of all that you are in a relationship dynamic that is already healthy and well yeah. And actually exactly. sexually thriving and intimate. Yeah, it's
1: not gonna fix it. Yeah. It's yeah, not,
0: yeah. It's not gonna fix it. You want to have a connection that's already rooted in safety and trust. Yeah. yeah. And you yourself need to be at a place in your life where you are anchored, safe, stable, that you have the the, the tools and know how to move your emotions, have communication tools, authentic relating, nonviolent communication. Right. And so this is a lot of the work that I do with people in my community and in my life is actually sort of prime them and prep them for it. Open relating if it's something they desire, because you need a grounded nervous system to hold this level and capacity of charge and emotion and challenge. You need to have a very healthy nervous system to do that. And what's trending nowadays is sort of like the the Burning Man culture of like, let's open relate and be on psychedelics and be ungrounded and not be rooted in our bodies and be dissociated, not going to work. It's going to put your nervous system and pain body into fight or flight, and it's actually going to re-traumatize. And we don't want that. We actually want to heal the trauma. So groundedness, sobriety, consciousness, and you know true presence and safety are necessary to enter the realms of open relating. And of course, not everybody's going to do that, but I think Hey, let's make this easier and more healing um, than it is. You know, damaging for people. Yeah, that.
1: yeah, um, yeah. That's super interesting. And another another um, cliche that people think is that this um, you know ista or temple night um, is a container for promiscuity. But actually, my experience is actually the opposite. It's the more you learn to understand this energy and and um, and really underst- understand where it's come from and, you know, making friends with it and feeling all around your body, the, the desire of promiscuity, the desire of the body-to-body actually decrease. Yes,
0: exactly.
1: Can you say that better than me? <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I mean, I think you said it beautifully. And it is a projection. People... Um, you know, and that's why I specifically love to use the word temple space as a place mm-hmm. as opposed to play party because I think they're very, very different. Um, but ultimately, you're right. Um, a temple A temple experience is in and of itself a medicine ceremony, except there are no substances other than love and eros. That is enough. And we enter into these spaces to say to ourselves, "Who, who am I? When I dissolve shame." and shoulds and should nots Mm. my sexuality. Who am I? And that may mean that you are wildly erotically expressed. It may not mean that either. It may mean that you are very contained in your sexuality, but because you choose to be, not because you should be. So it's a place to find the chains of shame that are around our sexuality and hearts and in a safe and sacred container dissolve them and see who you are underneath that and just like you said when you can enter a space where all is welcome it takes the charge out of it because it's no longer in the shadow
1: exactly it's no
0: longer behind closed doors and down dark alleyways that people are exploring their sexuality it's in a sacred light of day place and when you can explore it that way it takes it out of your shadow and when something's not in your shadow it's not trying to come out the back door sideways through unconscious patterns and behaviors and addictions.
1: Beautiful. I keep on thinking about couples around us that are struggling. You know, this is maybe it's outside your traditional consultancy job, but when do you know that it's time to break up? (laughs) Mm,
0: That's such a great question. It's such a great question. And the way the way that I the way that I see I think everyone has a different perspective on why they're in relationship and what a relationship container is for. The way that I see relationship is this relationship is soil for the seeds of who we are to thrive and to bloom and to come into harvest so that we can share our gifts with the world in a bigger, better way than without each other. When a relationship container begins to actually constrict and dim the the essence of who you are and what you came here to create, and it no longer supports and liberates that, but actually constricts that within the relationship container, it's time to really look at whether or not the relationship container is serving. right. And this goes for all relationships, not just marriages and intimate partnerships, but business collaborations, friendships, relationships to where you live, right? If a place is no longer encouraging your growth, if someone's no longer encouraging, supporting, and celebrating your growth, then you have to really ask yourself, what is the service in this relationship? And ideally a relationship should be, we both plant ourselves in this soil and we harvest and bloom and thrive because of this container. Doesn't mean it's always gonna be easy. Sometimes we're gonna have a storm to weather, but that strengthens our roots, right? It's, it's a sign that a relationship container is out of alignment and out of integrity when the relationship container itself is actually diminishing your growth, diminishing your heart space and not supporting and celebrating your expansion and your mm. aliveness, right? So. And I believe in doing the steps, taking responsibility, doing the couple's work, right, doing the, re- the, the Tantra retreat, doing the things that are needed to sometimes reset a relationship and repattern and reprogram. But there has to come a point where if the relationship is dimming the aliveness of the individuals, then it's not serving either of you. And it's also not serving your greater mission on this planet because we need to be supported, and loved in order for us to serve our purpose, right? So it's, 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 it's a matter of if it's, if it's dimming your aliveness and your sense of joie de vivre, as opposed to giving you a feeling of inspiration and creativity, even in the shit, because you could be going through like the hardest thing together, but you could still be like, we are in this, we're going to move through this. I feel alive in this still. I feel inspired to work towards a solution, You can still be in the mud and be focused on healing and growth.
1: Yes, yes. One of the container I see is this idea of the mirroring each other for growth, right? And, you know, this is the most obvious thing. Um, But people talk about, you know, sacred union and sacred container. Tell us a little bit. How do you incorporate spirituality on a couple level? What does it mean, sacred container?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm of the belief that everything is sacred and we really don't need to label anything as sacred or not because it's all sacred, right? Mm -hmm. However, by labeling something as sacred, you're essentially saying that I am devoted to this, whatever it is that's sacred to you, this sacred relationship, this sacred work, this sacred mission. I am utilizing this to serve something beyond myself, that's the spiritual component, right? So if a relationship container is a sacred union, you are claiming and devoting yourself that this relationship is here to serve the collective, to inspire love and change and transformation and growth, not just to ourselves and our mirroring, but to everyone around us. And you're, when you're claiming something as sacred, you're remembering that you are supported By source, you are supported by the unseen in life, that there's a mystery to it. So even when you're in a dark time, you know that this is serving. There's medicine here.
1: So there is an element of trust.
0: There is a huge element of trust and humility because it's not about your own ego and your own wants and your own needs. Mm. It's about in your In sacred union, you're utilizing your relationship in service to the whole community.
1: Yes. And like, you know, Rupert Sheldrake would say, you put out into the morphogenetic field this process of integrating your shadow and and being whole and that affect this, this energy can be felt and utilized by other people.
0: Absolutely. Especially in relationship to two two humans in union, there's something powerful that happens when the sexuality, love and higher consciousness of two humans come together. You create a force field of healing around you that is a transmission without even saying anything. You don't have to teach love. You don't have to teach sexuality. Just being in love changes the world around you.
1: Yes. But so I have to ask, so is there a space for a psychedelic practice as a couple practice?
0: Yes. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in plant medicine and in psychedelic medicine. And this is where what I had referred to earlier is my journey of unconscious medicine use actually allowed me to land into a place of conscious, sacred, intentional medicine use. Right. And so I think that I really follow the work of Jamie wheel and his book recapture the rapture. He talks a lot about hedonic calendaring where, when we put peak experiences of catharsis and extasis into our life, we actually heal on really deep levels. And so I think the key is that your psychedelic medicinal use as a couple or as as an individual is done intentionally And with awareness so that you're dissolving enough within you to release tension and trauma, but not dissolving so much that you lose stability and safety in your life. Mm. So it's a fine line. And this is where it really takes attunement and embodied presence to know what that line is for you. But I think couples that have entered into a closed off heart space together can Mm. really benefit from a sit with San Pedro together or a sit with ceremonial Alchemy through MDMA experience together, right?
1: Assassi-fry, yeah.
0: Anything, you know, anything that is medicinal. But what I really believe is that it needs to be done intentionally and not recreationally, right? And recreational is fine and beautiful, but I'm saying if you want to actually utilize it as a healing tool, for a relationship, then in a ceremonial space, meaning it's set, you're doing it. It's going to be the two of you. You're setting an intention, and even with a practitioner that holds the space for you, is also a really beautiful recommendation too.
1: But so, do you see in the future some joint retreat of 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 you know conscious intimacy and plant medicine? Do they exist already?
0: They they do exist. Um, And I think they will, for sure, become more popular as time goes on. I'm of the belief that, and I love both of the spaces of psychedelics and Tantra, I'm holding a pillar in my teachings to teach people that eros and love in and of itself is the medicine. And how do we surrender without substances? How do we open our hearts and bodies without substances right and so as powerful as these two spaces can be together i think there's also beauty in separating them so that we can learn how to enter the body consciously and uh, without substances first and then and then be able to combine the two
1: and maybe and maybe it's a situation where you know you might need some of this medicine you know, to weaken your default mode network so you can access the repressed memories and you can do the work on your shadows. And then you are more ready for Eros.
0: It creates the bridge. They are so in their logic, their mind, their pain body, their thinking, yeah. that they literally cannot access their body, right? This is why embodiment, the path of learning how to enter your body, enter your own temple is such an important part of the tantric path, right? Breathwork, meditation, you know, ecstatic dance, yeah. you know, movement, these are all ways to enter the body. I, you know, psychedelics can, can be a really beautiful tool to use to descend into the body for those that are having a hard time. You don't want to rely on it. Yeah, You want it to, just the way you wouldn't want to rely on ayahuasca to, to know how to touch the great mother. So it's a great way to introduce yourself to what's possible and to map a new landscape of like the amount of erotic power that lives in my body on this substance is powerful. Yeah, How do it exists. How do I get there on my own?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I can't remember if Alan Watts said that, you know, psychedelic is like uh, a boat to take you on the other side of the river, but then once you're the, you are on the other side, the journey continues by feet. <laughs> it hates.
0: Paints- whole reality that didn't exist before God or Eros or trust or love, whatever that reality is. And once you've pinned that in your nervous system and imprinted that reality, then going into the embodiment work and the breathwork practices and sacred sexuality becomes more inspiring because you know where you're going, you know, what you're headed towards and you know that it's possible.
1: Yeah. So we're getting close to the one hour mark. Uh, Tell us a little bit your offerings. From the shortest to the longest.
0: <laughs> so my, my offerings that I do, so I work mainly with women is really my targeted area of expertise and my mentorship journeys. It's really, I walk along the bridge with people, right? So that, that, you know, I, I, I serve as a boat for people to bring them into a space of liberation and mm-hmm. embodiment for however long is needed in their process most of my clients journey with me between six to 12 months. That's usually around the time frame that most people need support. And then I also host in-person events, immersions, temple experiences in person. But in terms of the, the work that I do mentoring clients into sacred sexuality and heart liberation, that's done online. It's a once a week container that I also, we hold a telegram thread as well, which is a really beautiful way to stay connected and in support throughout the journey. And then I also share my whole library of pleasure practices, embodiment practices, communication tools, conflict resolution, all the resources that I have to navigate this path. Um, I open up for my clients as well. So, yeah, so the journeys that I take, you know, really they, they're they longer journeys. Um, and some, you know, I have clients that I've been working with for over a year that I'm still supporting because ultimately, as long as we're loving, and relating and in erotic connection with others, there's always ways to deepen. So having a love, sex and relationship coach in your corner, supporting you and guiding you, it could be an eternal journey, right? For some people it's it's more of an acute situation that they want support with. And for some of my clients it's, hey, I want someone in my corner that's like team love and team eros, And I'm that person for them.
1: Yeah. I remember listening to, I think Sophia Tundari or Ines Rock, I don't remember, they were saying that, you know, this path of sexual liberation and sexual empowerment for women affect all aspects of their life. She was saying about this woman, Italian woman in fashion in Milan, that was saying that were like overstressed and overworked and they would say, I don't have time for spirituality and errors. I need to start my line or do this do that. And then I will think about, and you know, if you start the practice, there's more chance you succeed.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like what we started the conversation with is it's prioritizing your pleasure now. Exactly. And this is the paradigm shift. Yes. We've been raised in a culture where guilty and pleasure are put in the same sentence, where pleasure is seen as a reward after all the hard work.
1: The pain. Yeah.
0: Take the pleasure first as your fuel for your mission, right? It's actually what's going to fuel you. It's your aliveness. Your sexuality and your love is what makes you alive. And it's the most important untapped resource that you have available to you. And if your money is out of order, if your business is out of order, if your relationships are out of order, the place to start is with your own body, right? And sexuality is the root of our nervous system. It's our primal nervous system. It is the bedrock of everything we experience in life. It's the soil. And so if you want to heal a tree and you want a tree to come into more fruition and harvest, where do you go? You go to the root and you heal the root system. And sexuality is the root system of our body. And so when you do this work on liberating trauma and opening up your eros, it it pours up into every part of your being, and thus every part of your life. That's why I say to people, I'm like, if you work with if you work with me, or if you work with a coach that specializes in, in love and sexuality, you can essentially eliminate all other coaches <laughs> in your life because this one piece will will put everything back into alignment for you and bring you into vitality and vibrancy, and that's what we all want. Yeah. So important.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like I think the future of psychotherapy is somatic and transpersonal and Neotantra by definition is (laughs) somatic and transpersonal.
0: Exactly.
1: Okay. Great. It was so nice to know you. I hope you're going to start. Do you work with couples yet?
0: I have been working with couples right now. I'm specifying my work with women and really holding on that piece. But my long-term goal is to create a program for couples as well. It's really its own area of expertise um, so that's where I'm really headed in my long-term vision is to work with couples.
1: Yeah. And what is the program for men coming?
0: So that'll be next. So <laughs> the last five years, I've been embodying, teaching and transmitting women's work. And I'm so deeply embodied in that. The next program will be for men. And then the program after that will be for men and women. So that's Amazing. my trajectory is to, to heal the world one person at a time, but starting with the women.
1: Amazing! Thank yeah. you very much. And as I keep on studying, I'll come next year with more questions for you.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Reach out to me anytime. I'm a resource to you, my friend.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Olumba Chone.
0: Gracias. Ciao. <laughs> Koka ga, su, na, su, na, ra,